Hello, everyone, and welcome to No Shot Clock Podcast. This is episode number 33. I'm Joe Henriksen of City Suburban Hoops Report. And with me again is Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times. Um, we are going to do, well, we're going to do our questions from the listeners. Got a bunch of them again. We're going to give our two takes, both Mike's and myself, as well as um, a quick sneak peek, look ahead at, at what's in the store for this week around the Chicagoland area. Mike, uh, questions, uh, we got them coming, uh, quite a few of them, uh, wide-ranging as I just kind of glanced through them and looked at them. Yeah, there's, um, and you know what? <laughs> I remember last week you thought we might have one more, or uh, several more. We did miss one. Um, All right. So I, I found that, and it, it still pertains, so let me um, get that up, and then we're going to start there. It is from... Kyle Williams, who I believe has asked a question before. He wants to know uh, what we think of the talent on the Westinghouse Warriors. And an interesting question, second part, uh, who's the best player on Whitney Young? Um, let's start with the Young one first since we just saw them. Because I've watched them quite a bit this year, actually, and twice last week. And to me, it's clearly, uh, right now, Lucas Williamson is their top player. Uh, leads them in rebounding and leads them in scoring most games. He's. I was really impressed this week with how aggressive he was. It, it didn't always pay off. You know, he missed a lot of shots, but he really attacks the basket, and he, he can tell he's a more confident player than he was even at the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, he I mean, Xavier Castaneda makes the team go, and when he's playing well at the point guard position, you know, he just sets the table. Um, but you're right, Lucas Williamson has, has kind of turned the corner of a, of a prospect who is now really, you know, he's a big wing, 6'4", 6'5". Um, you know, they're a young team, and that's kind of, I think, that's what's holding them back from playing this very tough schedule that they always play. A lot more in-state, you know, uh, on their schedule this year than in years past. Uh, but yeah, Lucas Williamson and Xavier Castaneda are kind of one A, one B to me with those two kids, and they're and they're both back next year. So I mean, really, the whole team is back for Whitney Young, but they're still you know coming along, and and they're hanging with good teams. They haven't been able to get over the hump with some of them. You know, we saw losses to Thornton, North Lawndale, uh, Evanston this week. So, uh, but yeah, those two kids kind of set the tone, and then and then Westinghouse. I mean, Corian Russian is is a is a dynamite looking junior. He's a six six, athletic, you know, forward. He's a he's a top twenty five prospect in the in the, in the junior class, and um, you know he he's got a huge upside uh, for Westinghouse. Yeah, they had a but you know I, I don't have his name with me, but they called up a sophomore to varsity I think last week or two weeks ago, and he's been playing very well. Um, getting some like low double double things, I believe. Uh, Bill Curry sent me over his info. I have not seen Westinghouse since the first Sunday of the season at the Team Rose Classic. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not really up on how they've been all year. I know Corian has had a good year, but they're a team I'm sure I will see in the next week or so and at the city tournament. So let's circle back around a little bit about Westinghouse. I actually thought I expected maybe them to have a better record. Um, than they do right now, based on what I saw that Sunday. So I'm a little surprised as to what happened. Well, I think what happened is that the Red West has been very, very good. That's um, true. Y- Red know, West has tough. been better than, than I think any of us thought. Yeah. Um, deeper, I mean, balanced. And, you know, but, they, but they've got some pieces. I mean, Josh Roberts is a senior guard who's had a ton of varsity experience, has scored a lot of points for that, for that program. 
so, I mean, they've got some good pieces. You still kind of throw them out there as this dangerous team uh, that can sneak up on somebody maybe and play the role, role of spoiler down the stretch. Yeah, I wouldn't want to have to deal with them in the – in the city playoffs at all. And, you know, let's take a real quick look here at the, uh, and they host the sectional. Exactly. Um, um, so, I mean, that, that sectional is, 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 you know, obviously it's, it's loaded with Chicago teams, but the two that everybody's going to be looking at are Fenwick and St. Joe's in that Westinghouse sectional. So it's going to be tough for those two, you know, to beat both those teams is going to be a big obstacle for any of those Chicago teams. When I talk about Chicago, Farragut, Marshall, um, I believe North Lawndale is in there, Westinghouse. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of teams. So, I, you know, but Westinghouse is, you know, we'll see if they can get sneak into the host sectional if they can get by the regional, which will be difficult in itself. I guess we should point out that Westinghouse has already accomplished the most important thing they could have accomplished this season. They will be in the red next year. And, you know, they were the team that came up from the white. So making sure that that promotion sticks is the most important thing. And they are clear, free and clear. They can't fall down to the to the white. That's going to come down to, it looks like Farragut and Marshall. So Marshall, the forfeits really hurt them. Um, it's going to come down, I guess, to a Farragut-Marshall game, possibly. I'm not sure what the last one is. We should check that out. But it's going to be a big deal for whichever whichever one of those teams winds up down in the white. Have, have either one of them dropped out of the red in I can't remember. Wolf but. Nelson never has. He, but the last two years, at least, he has come within a game of it. They've mm-hmm. they've been down to it very closely. But Marshall, boy, I would not think so. Um, certainly not in my time. It's Urban Prep West is two and five, and if they have two, there's enough games left that they could still blow it. Uh, so we'll see. But that, that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, let's move on to the next uh, question. I could talk. Red and white promotion relegation all day. Don't, don't get me started, man. We could just go through that. Um, it's going to be fun to keep an eye on over the next few uh, next couple of weeks. Um, all right, uh, Rennell Chapman, good friend of the podcast, has a question. A couple questions. Ultimate battle of the little guy. He says Mike Smith versus Charlie Moore in a one-on-one game. Who are you taking and why? Oh, not really into the whole one-on-one. Uh, oh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> backyard who wins but um i'll take charlie up to 10 uh 10 to 8 and or 11 to 9 and up to 11 game nice i i need more information on this one i mean if this is just on the playground one-on-one charlie moore takes it in a runaway uh i'd say if it's a, to 11 i'm gonna go like 11 so one-on-one in a gym with with referees referees than mike smith <laughs> that's him all the way <laughs> yeah mike uses his power and, and strength to draw fouls and smarts yeah he's just such a smart player so yeah i think playground i take charlie <laughs> Moore, three. Landsli- exactly i take mike smith in a landslide if there's a ref so uh, <laughs> that's my – and I actually believe that. I'm just not playing politically correct one or the other. I think it really does matter uh, where they play. Um, the second part of this, uh, since St. Joe's has lost to Morgan Park twice this season and if Fenwick continues to play this well into March, which team would you like to see in the state semis against Morgan Park to make the game as interesting as possible? St. Joe's, Fenwick, or maybe even North Lawndale? This is easy. After the last question, I go Fenwick because I want to see Mike Smith and – and Charlie Moore, and, um, and not in one on one, but in, in Peoria, two of the two of the best, you know, two of the premier point guards in the entire state of Illinois. I think it'd be a fun matchup. Yeah, the um, Fenwick 
beating Simeon has to wet your whistle to see if uh, they, they can have another shot with the Morgan Park thing. Um, okay, let's go on here. Kevin Swan, friend of the podcast. I saw him at at least one game this past week, maybe a couple. He says, uh, I enjoyed, well, here you go, yeah. I enjoyed watching Morgan Park easily handle St. Joe's on Saturday night. Clearly, Morgan Park always feeds off Nick Irvin's energy, but it seems like they have an intentionally planned strategy of getting the parents and family supporters involved and building up rallies on their press and defense during the game. I loved it, and it really seemed to get the kids going, especially in the cold, sterile environment of a neutral gym at Hinsdale Central on a Saturday night. Too many gyms, it seems, are way too quiet, and it got me thinking, what schools have some of your favorite crowds? And no matter what the talent is like that year, always seem to provide a little extra energy to the team. Hmm. What do you think, Joe? Uh, Well, I I guess I'm thinking of past years over the years and and some of the – I mean, usually the good crowds come with the good teams in the good years typically, but there are a lot of schools that do produce every year. You know, I, I, everyone all the way back, they had about a 10-year run where Brother Rice was cream of the crop with their fan base and their crusader uh, crazies. You know, they were fantastic, some of the best I've seen. East of Burma Catholic has some really good crowds. I mean, whether it be at Bennett, the student section, or uh, Niles Notre Dame. Uh, West Aurora has had some great you know, student sections and, and, and a, a great environment in their gym, especially when they're rolling and going good. Um, you know, those are there are some of the comes some of them that come to mind um, off the top of my head. Yeah, I would. Somebody was asking me this the other day when I, we were sitting around watching a game. Um, at least about which gym is always you know pretty full and West Aurora came to mind for me immediately. You know, not always necessarily a student section. And that kind of loud cheering stuff. But just as you don't walk in there to a dead spot, you know, (laughs) there's always a solid fan. And, you know, they are always good Well, until this year. So it hasn't like they've had some huge, you know, terrible year where people stuck by. So it's a little hard to judge. I would say that up and down, um, even in bad years, bloom. You know, it's not going to be a huge crowd and it's not going to be students, but there's going to be a significant fan base of adults there and they're going to make noise. It's not always going to be in support of the blazing (laughs) Trojans, but you're going to hear them. It is not going to be in any way a cold, sterile atmosphere. It's going to be extremely partisan and full of all kinds of hate and super fun. So I think they're worth noting. Uh, Also Hillcrest. The same way, not quite as much hate, but Hillcrest has has just a solid fan base. Their parents always turn out well. You can always count on that Hillcrest gym when you show up. There's going to be a lot of energy in there. And to echo Joe's point about Brother Rice, Tuesday night, wow. I mean, I don't know what they've been like all year, but that Brother Rice crowd away at Marist, they came into a sold-out gym and just owned the place. It was absolutely impressive. I can't remember the last time I saw a fan, a student section that good, regardless of home or away. They were fabulous on Tuesday night at Marist. It's a shame they couldn't um, help the Crusaders get a win, but it was a fun game, a great atmosphere, and uh, Brother Rice can at least turn it out when they want to, we know. Well, when they, I mean, I can't, I don't know when you started the beat, this beat, but Brother Rice for a decade, about an eight to ten year run, their fam, it's been the best I've seen in 19 years of of the 20 years of the hoops report. So 
those and now they had a run where they were winning 24, 25, 26 games a year. And during that run, their fan, their student section, it was second to none. I mean, it, it was it was outstanding. They even had some controversy in the mid '90s with the uh, Thornton Buckwheat chant. Yes, yes. So, um, uh, they've had their, their their share of controversy, but uh, <laughs> yes. you know it's 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 been the it's been the best that I've seen over the last you know three decades. Okay, uh, Rennell Chapman with another one, and boy, they, these questions I don't know, Joe. Um, these two tough ones for me. Uh, Rennell says uh, if the University of Illinois men's head coaching job became vacant after the season, which it should be. If you could pick any high school coach from Illinois that you feel would have the most success in filling that position, who would it be? I, I'm, I'm not gonna pick. I mean, you, you, <laughs> there's no high school coach that could go to a Big Ten school and seamlessly transition into that role. Um, so I don't. I guess I'm not gonna entertain the. The, the notion, the, the notion of it possibly happening. That, um, that was my first answer as well. But in the meantime, or since I decided on that, I've changed my mind. You know what? If I got to pick somebody, I'm going to go with Gene Heidkamp. I mean, heck, if he can have lead those Bennett players over whoever they're beating, <laughs> I'd give him a chance with the Illinois roster and at least see what, I mean, if I had to pick one guy, I guess that's where I'd go. Um, second question. And I don't even know uh, if Dorothy Gators, Corey Irvin, or Tony Smith. Oh, I saw this. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know girls basketball. I know that. If, <laughs> for those of you wondering, those are girls basketball coaches. Uh, we're open to coaching at the college level. Do you think they'd have success in Champaign and get the recruits needed to turn around that horrid women's program? Um, I, yeah. I have no clue. I've never watched a women's college basketball game in my life, so really don't think I'm the guy to answer this question. <laughs> Sorry, Renell Chapman. Um, we don't know. Someday, maybe there will be a No Shot Clock podcast about girls' high school basketball, and those guys can tackle it. But this next question is one doozy of a question. I'm going to actually proactively just say, best question we've ever had on the podcast. I thought really? of, I thought about it for a really long time. It, it's also, it's got a news peg, as we say in the business. I could write a column on this question. Adam Hoover, the coach at Clemente. Hey, Michael, hope you're doing well. I listened last week to the whole issue with Morgan Park and Simeon's gym situation. What would you do differently if you were in charge of CPS basketball? Not just in this situation, but generally. How would you clean up the image that bugs CPS basketball? I've asked myself this question and have a few simple answers. Change the way we do eligibility sheets, stricter transfer rules, etc. But I'm not sure what the solution is to policing all the CPS teams at all levels. What are your thoughts? This is an episode. Yes. You could do an episode on this one. You certainly could. But I've, I've put together some thoughts. Um, the first one is going to be very unpopular um, <laughs> with most of the high-level CPS coaches. But I think it's fairly obvious. Um, the teachers should be the coaches. It should be a teacher in the building. Um, I think that's the first step in a lot of ways towards just a lot of a lot of things. When your job is to be a teacher and basketball coach is your extra job, I think everything becomes a little different. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, Although, oh yes, <laughs> no. What, here's a big reason why. And I even talked to some coaches about this uh, in the last day or so. 
it, it's been like this in the CPS for years in comparison to the suburbs. And the CPS coaches do not make any money. And I don't, don't mean no money, but very, very little in comparison to the suburban coaches. Now, even the suburban coaches, the money they make, their stipends, if you factor it out with the hours they put in, summer, camps, all that, it really amounts to hardly anything if you do it by the hourly rate. Now, when you factor in the CPS rate and what they're making, which is not even half of most suburban coaches, it gets to the point where teachers are like, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this hassle and do all this work for this amount of money. So it's been like this in the public league forever, so I doubt it's going to change. But if you really want to get what you just said, Mike, more teachers who are basketball people involved at that level and in the city, you're going to have to up the amount of money that they're paid and the stipends that they get for coaching because it is, it's become a, it's become a 9, 10, 11 month job uh, in, in high school basketball trying to keep up with the Joneses in this sport. And, and that's a big, a big reason why. That's interesting. Um, I'm not sure I agree Be- simply because I think so many of them are teachers. It's just not the high level ones. So I think there's plenty. So of- many of them yeah. in, the, in the red. N- no. Well, the red is a small portion of the CPS. Uh, I, I think, uh, and you know, I'm not sure about this, but like, for example, Adam Hoover is a teacher. A lot of the teams that aren't very good, their coaches are teachers. And, and I was talking to other coaches about this. Look, not all, all of them, but look at some of the schedules some of them play, Mike. <laughs> it is closer to be an intramural in some of those yes. schools. They schedule their conference games, a few non-conference games, and they're done. A lot of them. And why is that? Yeah, I'm not saying this would be the best for the for for the quality of basketball, but I think there would be enough teachers, to, even with the current stipend, to take those jobs. Uh, I don't know if you know they wouldn't be traveling all around the country. But you want quality, you said. Is no, that no, what no, we want? No, no, no. We want to clean up the image. Well, okay, that's quality. I'm not just talking about X's and O's. I'm talking about quality people, quality coaches. Who who fit the bill? Run the game from from running a program to working with kids to being teacher to being a good coach. I mean, it's not just one thing or the other. And to get that well qualified all around coach, you're you're seeing a lack of them now in the suburbs because of what I'm just talking about. The amount of time and talk to these coaches. It is it's mind blowing the amount of time they spend. And the dollar amount, and then you're saying, well, boo-hoo, they love the sport. Yeah, but they also have families. They also have careers. They also take – a lot of them take teaching seriously. So you you are talking about just a completely different animal, and I, I just don't – I mean, I mean there's no doubt they don't get enough. But I'm just saying that there are enough people that want these jobs that are teachers that I think it would be – it would work out. But um, – but long story short, the answer is yes. You you you'd be much better off if you had this in place. Should do a survey and find we, out how many are teachers right now. Um, anyway, to continue, I've done a fun formal one, but I think the the second thing that's most maybe this is more important even than the first one is the CPS needs to have a powerful, organized person in charge of CPS sports. There needs to be stability in that position. 
it, we have reached such a point since Kelvin Davis left. You know, it's just gotten worse every year. You know, Kelvin, for all the complaints about him, you know, that there was sort of an iron hand. He made decisions. He had power. The coaches are more powerful now than anyone in CPS Sports Administration. Frankly, they seem more powerful than the people in charge of the entire CPS. Um, they're, they're the most powerful person in their building in some situations. And so that has to change. The, the axis has to swing back to somebody in CPS Sports Administration to give some consistent leadership. And I think until then, the best, quickest way is the IHSA has to scrap this CPS polices themselves. And they've got to go in, get their hands dirty. Yeah, they don't delve into much exactly. of anything. And your first point, another or your second point, was I agree again. Getting a a person in charge, but also a support staff with that person, uh, because the bottom line, a big issue, a big problem is how huge and massive the public league is, and it is. I mean, to say, yes, put that one man in charge, you have to have that one guy in charge. But you also have to people have subordinates underneath that that are also equally uh, – they can't be these inept people that can't get anything accomplished and done. And organizationally, it's just a mess sometimes. So you also have to have that staff in place. And all this is money, and, and I get that. Um, but if you really want to clean it up, it, it does start at the top and it works its way down. Yeah, and the easiest thing we could do right now quickly that would not take a lot of these things that aren't going to happen, just CPS has got to force them to lock in their schedules. No more of this changing on a daily basis when you're going to play based on all sorts of whims and things. It's just created a, just a horrible atmosphere just for everything. Yeah, and again, that goes back to organization. I mean, it's just – it's pretty mind-boggling when you when – you, when you're in it and watching it a lot, it becomes second nature. But from the outside, people that just hear about these things just scratch their heads. Or like, what? What are they doing? How, why are they doing this? How are they doing this? How does this happen? And it, it's repetitive. It happens over and over. And, and certain things just never can happen. You should never have a team ineligible for the postseason because of your scheduling issues. You just can't, and it's 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 just can't happen. No, it's we can't have this late. If teams can't make the game time, then the game time has to be changed. Or if they should be there, and there's no excuse for why they weren't there, it's just got to be forfeited. Start the clock. What's the rule? Fifteen minutes, ten minutes late, whatever, and it's over with. People aren't going to be late again. Isn't that for college classes? Fifteen minutes? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure there is one, right? Oh, I don't know. There, I don't, I'm pretty sure there's there a rule. There probably is. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Um, it's just very, very. I don't know if I've ever. Have you ever? And I'm not picking on the city here, but have you been to a suburban game where the team didn't show up ever? I, I've been to. I've been to at least one where there was a late issue, and I do remember that it was how late they were, and they didn't get to warm up because they didn't have time. Right. You know, they got there. It's just, it's just commonplace and, and, and it's just, it's just bad. Yeah. So we, we, as you say, we can talk about that for a long time, but those are some quick suggestions. Um, because I mean, it is taken up just so much of the air out of the basketball scene the last three years, I think for sure. Yes. Um, it's just been worse. Um, all right. Now we're going to do a total 180. The next question from Kevin McNulty. I think he's the first time, uh, question asker so welcome kevin he says he's a big fan of the show he wants to know our thoughts on deerfield this year 
I like them. I mean, uh, you're looking at a Deerfield team who has a player in Jordan Baum who you have your lead guard who makes people around them better. Uh, they're, they're, they've got a underrated kid named Jordan Sherman. He's a 6'3", 6'4", versatile kid, guards multiple positions, uh, rebounds. You know, Deerfield's on top of the Central Suburban League North, 5-1. and one. Uh, They're the defending champs. I, their overall record is, like, really good. 18-3. Um, 18-3. They almost know, made the Super 25 this week. I mean, they've, yeah. they've knocked off some teams that aren't a ranked team but have wins, like a friend, and I believe they beat Jacobs, I think. So, I mean, Deerfield, a team that, that has obviously conference – title hopes, regional title hopes, and then you're going to eventually run into Evanston in the sectional. So, But I, I like Deerfield. They're on a nice little two-year run. They've, they lost, I think, three starters from last year and, and um, are, are right back you know, having a better year than they did a year ago. Yeah, they were on the bubble for me this week. Um, I had a hard time with my last two teams, very difficult time. And the problem, the reason they didn't get in is this Niles North boondoggle they've got going on. You know, their CSL North – conference rivals there they played back-to-back games you know that and Deerfield won the first one by seven and then Niles North beat them by 27 <laughs> yeah it's a weird and it, you get back-to-back games like we just saw it recently with Niles Notre Dame and Bennett yeah. Bennett pounded Notre Dame and then came back four days later and lost to him um but yeah I, though I believe they haven't played twice I don't think I mean, as far as conference games. No, and, and Niles North has a similarly good record. They're 16-6. and six. They also have some nice victories, so I, I couldn't decide which one. But, you know, to talk about Deerfield, you know, I saw them play Waukegan. I was I was really impressed. They, it was in the dog pound. They played well. That was maybe early December. I haven't seen them since then. And it's funny, you look back at their schedule now, you know, their first win of the year was against York, which looks a lot better now. They, they beat a good Jacobs team, you know, that Waukegan game I'm talking about. Another thing keeping them out of the Super 25 right now, and this is an issue with a lot of teams, is Lake the Lake Forest issue. You know, they lost to Lake Forest, and Lake Forest has some great wins. Lake Forest, I even thought about putting in right there. So they're kind of in this mix of teams that you don't want to play. They've had a good season. They're going to be tough to beat in the playoffs, but I'm just not sure, you know, if they're Super 25 uh, quality yet. Let's uh, move on to the next question here. I'm pretty sure we've got some more. Um, yep, this one is from Rance Allen, who is definitely a first-time question asker. He says, why do college programs not hire high school basketball coaches to be head coaches? Is familiarity of the college process as an assistant coach with NCAA regulations, recruiting, etc., so highly valued that it knocks out an inexperienced high school coach's chance to be considered? Joe, before we answer this, do you find it interesting that an awful lot of high percentage of question askers want to know why high school coaches can't be the Illinois head coach? Well, we're asking the state of Illinois, we're going to be on our third consecutive year <laughs> yeah. without an NCAA tournament team uh-huh. uh, of all the 13 Division One schools, which is, I did a story on this a while ago. I, th- I believe it's the first time it will have ever happened in over 40 years. Um, but, uh, you know, he kind of answered it there, but not – first of all, there's just so much that goes into being a, a college basketball coach and beyond the X's and O's. I mean, you're you're dealing with so much as far as relationships with different people, boosters, 
handling the media, understanding recruiting, knowing and being able to hire a competent staff. It's just a huge – and the reason why is experienced coaches at the college level understand and get to feel for all this and see it and how a college program operates uh, as an assistant, obviously. So that's why it's – I mean, it's not just in Illinois, obviously. It doesn't happen anywhere, really. And the rare times it's happened in football or basketball has not gone too well. So – it's I mean, just it, it does happen as far as high school coaches become assistant coaches. Yeah, I mean, but the only reason ninety percent of the time that happens is because of their relationships in recruiting with players. Um, once in a while, they'll just have a relationship with the head coach, and the head coach respects them in a way that, hey, I got a spot open. This guy can really coach. I think he has the personality to go out and recruit and learn that part of it. I'll bring him on. But it's even that's not all that common. I mean, you look at the history of our great state of high school basketball in Illinois and how many coaches have left their high school gigs to go coach in college. There hasn't been a whole lot. Um, no, so it's just being in that business and watching how it operates. It, it, it's, it is a 365-day-a-year job. with so You have so many different roads you go down. Um, as a coach and get the college level. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of the high school coaches don't want to go the assistant coach route for whatever reason. I actually think we've had quite a few try. Like, I don't think it's that rare. We've got Elbian Kalana, Donnie Kirksey, Luke Yaklich, Paris Parham. Mike Howland. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Um, Rick Melnati gave it a whirl. Um, Shea Boyle. Was doing it for a while. Uh, the bigger, the most successful was um, Wayne McLean, right? For sure. But yeah, I mean that that seems to happen every few years. But they don't. Yeah, but it's seem not a common. It's not a common coach. occurrence, and and it's yeah. it, it's just it's I can't even ever imagine. I can't imagine the ice. I mean, now there has been the only coach who I've heard whispered in the last few years has been Robert Smith of Simeon. Um, you know, with with a couple of the low major and mid major jobs that either were potentially going to open or did open and there was float around and Rob Smith's been mentioned for some assistant coaching jobs. Um, now if it were to happen, it would obviously happen at a low level division one school or, or potentially a mid major. And a lot of times you'll see it, not a lot of times, but if you were to see it ever happen, you know, it'd be maybe a, you know, like a UIC or a Northern Illinois that has, strong Chicago ties and connections. Yeah, no doubt. Um, interesting kind of top. I know in football side, John Horster from Loyola, you know, it, it's kind of a different thing with him because he played in the NFL. I think if we had an NBA player, you know, high school coach that whatever, I could talk about that for a while, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on here to Austin Lejess who asks questions pretty often. And uh, this is a fun one. Joe and Michael. If the IHSA postseason tournament started today, if it was February uh, Follies <laughs> instead of March Madness, uh, who would you pick as your possible Cinderella teams in 3A and 4A? Hmm. My Cinderella teams I like to hold off because I like, to, I like the teams that are just kind of mucking around and then right before state tournament they're playing really well and they picked up a big win or they won five or six in a row. 4A, I got a weird, I mean, 
depends your definition, I guess. Of I mean, are we talking people that get to Peoria or just make a it's kind of a Cinderella run? I'm gonna go with a weird one, and this is in January, so I get you know I pick my real sleepers in late February. Lincoln Way Central, I think their style, um, their the the conference they're playing in will prepare them, and they're what looks to be a really bad sectional at Lockport. They're not going to, you know, be on anybody's radar, I don't think. And I could see them making a run. Uh, they're well coached. Um, you know, they, they blow out, you know, Thornton blew them out the first half. They, they battled back and lost, I think, 52-44, 52-45. So I think Lincoln Way Central is just a team that's completely out there that could make a run in their in their sectional in 4A. Nice. I will go with my um yeah, I've seen I watched one of the Thornton games, the second one that wasn't quite as close. Um I like Lincoln Way Central. I think it, Bob Curran's wow, his style has changed quite a bit since he had those Thornwood teams that you know really sucked the air out of the ball. Uh, he is he lets the kids play a lot more now. It's a lot more free-flowing. They were a fun team to watch, Lincoln Way Central. They moved the ball well, especially in the first quarter of that game at Thornton. Uh, they're an interesting one, especially in 3A. Uh, 3A, I, I like my pick here, and I'm talking Cinderella as far as they could upset the apple cart. Uh, I'm going with Hillcrest. Yeah, but see, uh, I'm call- no, you can't go with them. You're going to have to pick a new one. No, they um go back and look at those Morgan Park results the last few years. Yeah, but so you're saying they could get to Peoria? I'm I think I mean that's been a close game. Much closer than it should last year was super close. I'm just saying I, I, don't you think everybody will pick Hillcrest to win their sectional? Uh I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean Do you think it's that clear cut? Well, I'm just I talking mean, about them against Morgan Park. All right. Well, at, I, at this point, you know that I like to change my pick and go with teams that are going to be one seeds. I, I mean, I don't know. I, Do you think they're that much better <laughs> than than Lincoln Way West? I don't. Well, I mean, they're. I think they're going to be favored. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not even worried about the sectional. I mean, three uh, three A well, sectionals, they're all. I want to make it before one. people call yeah. call me an idiot. I am not predicting Lincoln Way Central to get to Peoria. <laughs> I just uh, was picking a random, you know, four A team, but. Yeah. No, I mean, Hillcrest I think Hillcrest is- has a nice chance to give Morgan Park a game in that one. Um, like they do every year, Morgan Park gets through Bogan, and then it's kind of tough, that Hillcrest super. And you look back at Hillcrest's losses now, you know, that Proviso West loss doesn't look quite so bad since Proviso West knocked off Glenbard West. And Proviso West was okay when I saw them. And they lost to HF, and they lost to Larkin. I mean, they're a young team that's bound to be getting better. I'm hopefully going to see them against HF on Saturday at 1. Um, but I really liked Isaac Stanbeck. Marcus Garrett is, you know, a go-to scorer, which a lot of teams don't have. I think I just think that super sectional game is going to be closer than people think. Uh, is my why I would I'll be choose surprised. Hill. Don Houston's one of my favorite guys in the business, but I'll be surprised if that game's within double digits. That said, Hillcrest might have a horrible time in that. You know, they're going to have to play that game in Streeter. The, oh yeah, the sectional against, title uh, game. That's not going to be fun, depending on who. Against Hersher or Cole City or. <laughs> I have yeah. Piatone. <laughs> excellent question, but yeah, it's bound to be a very weird setting. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget Joy Catholic in that sectional. 
Yeah, and Thornridge, you know, isn't bad. Um, yeah. Rich South just knocked off Crete Moni. Um, Scott Ritter's a good coach. So it, it's far from a gimme as far as 3A sectionals go. We have worse. Uh, I. Well, who's your 4A sweeper? Kenwood. What? 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 Because I think they can win it. And I don't think most people consider Kenwood a uh, legitimate state title threat right what? now. Where do you got him ranked? Fifth? Five or six, yeah. Come on. These aren't sleepers. Kenwood is a sleeper to win the state title. They're not a sleeper to win a sectional. In yeah. 4A? Yeah. Sure they could win a state title. Uh, yeah, I think nine out of ten people you talk to would not consider that a rational possibility. I think you're overestimating the love for Kenwood out there. I'm not saying there's a lot of love. I'm just saying there's a lack of love for everybody else. I Maybe. mean, there's not a 4A favorite. I mean, I talked to a lot of people walking out of your event. On... Who, who's a 4A favorite, though? Who who would be people's 4A favorite? Oh, I mean, they're going to go Simeon because yeah. of the name. Yeah, it'll always be Simeon. Simeon's the favorite, clear in a way. I think Curie has a whole lot of I'm just support. saying, more so than any year I can ever remember. And I'm sure there's another year that I have to go back and find out. Go read my old City Suburban Hoops Report state tournament previews. But I, I can't recall a, a more wide-open, nothing-would-shock-me state title. That's why I'm saying Kenwood could win. But um, – yeah, I just your definition of the sleeper, I guess, is a whole lot different than than my than my definition of a sleeper. I, I mean, Tenwood does not shock me if they get the Peoria and win the state title. Wouldn't shock me at all. But oh well. I have Lincoln Way Central. My runner up was Naperville North. You, no, you need a four A. No, Lincoln Way Central is four A. They're in oh, the lock. Okay, so, lock you need, so you need a three A. Oh, I do. Oh, um, <laughs> you, you hate my picks, but you don't got any here, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, well, as we, because three A is so bad because it, because of the, of the of the overpowering powers that are surely going to win their sectionals. I got to dip into the bad sectionals to pull out a. Uh, it's got to be somebody at Ridgewood. Who am I going? I'm going to take Saint Patrick, Saint Pat's. As my three A sleeper to win that sectional, no one's talked about St. Pat's all year. They're not been. They're not ranked. Or should I go North Chicago? Have not I'm going seen North them. Chicago. The results have not been good. I know it, but gosh, that section. I'm just looking. I just pulled it up. Oh my goodness, St. Pat's. Yeah, and you realize you just gave me some hell. St. Pat's will be the number one seed in that sectional. St. Pat's that, that you just picked to be the sleeper. Well, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> so. I was looking at. The Disney, Alcott, Intrinsic yeah. Charter. So, so you picked the Pritzker. best team in the sectional as the sleeper, which um, you just criticized me for. Well, this is why you can't pick a 3A sleeper. Oh, sure you can. You got to maybe oh. leave our area. I mean, there's some sleepers. How about You'd have to pick a sleeper. would have to be a team in one of those loaded sectionals that you think is going to beat one of the big dogs. Bloomington. Because, I mean, these other sectionals like the one manual. I just mentioned. There's not even a sleeper in there because there, there's nobody that's even really a favorite. Um, Manuel is the clear favorite at Peoria, and I think Bloomington's got a shot. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Gosh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to look at a three, a true 3A sleeper. You know Manuel lost to Boylan, right? 
Like if you say, if you were to say Hyde Park is going to win that St. Lawrence sectional, which I don't think they're going to, but there there is a sleeper or a Mount Carmel, but I don't have the guts to to pick it. Westinghouse, somebody to beat Fenwick, St. Joe's. Who would that be? North Lawndale could. All right, there's my three as sleeper, North Lawndale, even though I don't think they're going to win. But North Lawndale would have to beat both those teams in back-to-back games, which would be very difficult. But there, it took a long time. Sorry, listeners. North Lawndale, three-A sleeper for me. I think Noble UIC Prep is a crazy great record if you want to pick them. (laughs) I'm going North Lawndale. North Lawndale is my three-A sleeper that will, just for fun, I'll say they'll upset one of those two big dogs, even though I really don't think so. So let's use that to transition right into our two takes, because my first take is... North Lawndale, who I finally saw. What is it? End of January. It took me this long. North Lawndale's been on the road. You know, they were in Bloomington for the holidays. I finally got around to see them, watched them at home against Young. They picked up their second win of the season against Young. Kind of clear why Young has trouble with them. Xavier Castaneda just couldn't kind of hold it together against Lawndale's onslaught of Guards with quick guards. hands and long arms. And, they had a lot of guards. Yeah, he was just kind of overwhelmed by that, and it led to a lot of turnovers. Um, North Lawndale does not have a star. You know, they don't have that guy you can count on to score 20 a night. It's going to be different guys. They've got a, a transfer, Dexter Smith, who's got a big body, 6'3 guard. Carlos Hines, a very interesting player. He's a good-looking junior. junior yeah. yeah, with a bright future. And Tyrone Rivers, rock-solid senior point guard, the kind of guy you need to make a, a march run. He's passed first. He really keeps that offense flowing for them. I was very impressed with him. And then, then they've got something a lot of teams don't have, especially in that 3A, and even Fenwick and some of these 3A teams – that should be better than them. Douglas Lowry, 6'7". 6'6", yeah, athlete. Yep. Yeah, long shot blocker that just dominated the paint against Whitney Young. Then they've got a couple guys you know, that are just workhorse guys, like Martrell Barnes, 6'1", guy who's actually good in the post, strong. They have something a lot of teams don't have this year, and that's just a lot of capable players. A lot of guys you can throw in. They go 10 deep. They want to run. You know, they, they care about defense, and... I, it's been a long time since I saw a non-elite public league team. That you know, I'm not saying that they're top five, so they're they're not elite, but they share the ball so well, and that's what makes me wonder if they could pull off that upset. And I don't think this could happen. I'm talking about a, Fen, a possible Fenwick or Joe's upset. It wouldn't happen in the suburbs, but at Westinghouse, yeah, it was, it's a very strange sectional environment. You know, there was the brawl last year involving making North me feel London good about Marshall. my sleeper. Yeah, I really do think that, I mean, <laughs> I, it's just no, a, I, it's a weird if, matchup. If you talk to Coach Thorpe before the season, I didn't listen to him. He was hyped up about this team. Um, he thought he had as much talent as he's had and, and even more talent and more players as a whole than he's had in some of the more pumped-up teams. So uh, he was excited, you know, and, and uh, no one really kind of gave them time of day at the beginning of the season. But, yeah, you're you're right. They are – uh, a balanced and, and dangerous team with with the guard play that they have. My first take is the East Suburban Catholic Conference is the best and deepest conference in the Chicago area that doesn't have the name Red in it. Uh, so I'm eliminating the Red Central, Red West, Red South, and Southwest Suburban Red. But if you look at this league from top to bottom, 
Uh, it is deep and balanced. Mary Catholics three and zero, and we've they've kind of been the the high ranked team that we've quit talking about a little bit. And Bennett has obviously done things at seventeen and three that I don't think a lot of people envisioned. Maris knocked off Brother Rice. They got a big few weeks ahead of them, though. But you look, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven teams with 13 or more wins. Um, they're, they're, every team, even the bottom half of the, of the conference, has a player or two. I mean, Carmel's got a Division I player. They're 9 and 10, but they got a Division I player. You got Pischke at Marion Central, 20, 20 plus points per game guy. You know, Niles, Niles, Notre Dame at 16 and four. Look at these records. I mean, Mayor 16 and three, St. Viator 13 and four, Julia Catholic 14 and three. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, the three public league conferences are, are obviously better um, at the top for sure. And then the Southwest Suburban Red uh, is, is probably, you know, a better conference with Thornton. Uh, well, I mean, you could probably debate it. But I, I just think East Suburban Catholic Conference is the is a really sh- much better conference than I thought it would be. Especially with you look at the success the league has had in recent years with some high profile players, you know, from the Tyler Eulis days, Mary Catholic, and Sean O'Meara and Bennett finishing second. This is a little bit t- different type of a season, and uh, you know they should be pretty proud of, of, of what they've done here through you know late January. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take the Suburban Catholic over the Southwest Suburban Red. Uh, I've seen everyone except for Carmel, Nazareth, and Joliet Catholic. And I can say that eight teams are good for sure. Joliet mm. Catholic I haven't seen, but they're 14-3. and three. They got some nice wins. Carmel and Nazareth are probably the two that don't follow fall into the at least good category. And that is just a lot. I mean, you can say eight teams in right. a conference are, are good. That's just something else. And, and St. Pat's, yeah, I've seen them play really well. I was impressed with them. You know, this conference has come a long way. I'm just thinking back years back, it used to be you waited for that Pats against Joe's game and twice a year, and that was about it. For, for well, yeah, time. and even, even the years I was talking about, it was top-heavy because Bennett was loaded and Marion Catholic's been loaded. And, uh, you know, it's just – now, would you – East Suburban Catholic versus Red West. I would take the Red West. Red South, obviously. Yeah, I, I would take them over the Red Central. I think. Yeah, the bottom. You're probably right, just because the bottom of the league is, yeah. is. I'm not all in on Hyde Park and the other one. Kings having a, the worst year they've had in a while. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably the East Suburban Catholics, probably the third best league in the Chicago area this year. Uh, that'll dovetail nicely. It's like we planned this out now into my uh, my my take. It is Marian Catholic that they they might be what we thought they were <laughs> at the beginning of the season, and they're probably underrated by me <laughs> since I do the rankings. But you know, a lot of things have been happening up top. Marian Catholic hasn't gotten that big win, but where you got them now? Uh, good question. Uh, eight, no, ten. See, they're down to ten. They're underneath. Like I keep reordering the others. Morgan Park, Fenwick, Thornton, Simeon, Evanston, Kenwood, Kyrian, Bogan, and Joes. And I've kept Marion Catholic below that, you know, for the last few years, years, the last few weeks. But, you know, you go back and you look at their, they haven't lost since the Thornton game. And I think at the time, a lot of people didn't believe in Thornton. 
So they were like, oh, what's the Marion Callaghan? They were supposed to be the ones winning this, you know, title. So that doesn't look quite as bad. The other loss is Bloomington, who's a good team. You know, I was very impressed with them at Pontiac. You know, they've, they've had a, a good season. Then they got the Matter Day loss, who, you know, nothing wrong with that. And then the HF loss, what, the second or third day of the season. So they've done it. They got, I think, six in a row now. One, two, three, four. Yeah, six wins in a row. A nice win at the the thing in Dayton, flying to the hoop, is that called, or whatever? National-level shootout. They took care of Joliet Catholic handily, beat a Bishop Knoll, you know, in Indiana lately, Providence, Brother Rice. You know, we, we know they passed the look test. We know they've got the size. We know they've got some capable guards. It seems like Brandon Hurt has been playing well recently. So, yeah, I think Marion Catholic, a team to keep an eye on over the next few weeks. they got a, a game against Marist they should win on Friday. Um, but, yeah, perhaps we've kind of been a little too harsh on them you think over the last couple weeks uh i just uh, i had i probably had more i had higher expectations of marion catholic than anybody coming into the season i remember taking some shots from some people in the south suburbs and i i anointed them um because they they're a little bit of a newbie to the compared to the you know perennial power programs in the south suburbs so i had these high high expectations from watching them in the summertime and, you know, they don't have any bad losses. They don't, you know, I, I guess. Best under, wins probably Bennett. We, we haven't. I, I think the reason, I, I think what killed a little bit of the buzz was the not. And like they, I think we'd be talking differently of them if they had won the, the Dipper. And I don't, what was that score? Six, 67-59. I mean that that and you're right, but if they lost to Thornton yesterday, that would have been seen in a different light. Right, but it'd be we'd be talking about them beating Thornton, handing Thornton their law their lone Chicago area loss. They won the dipper. That's why it just kind of took a little bit of buzz. Now they kind of had to work their way back in. They're gonna win that East Suburban Catholic Conference, which I just said. I mean, I, I firmly believe that. Uh, although they do have to go to Niles Notre Dame, which won't be easy. And then it creates the you know we're talking about them at this in a certain terms of being that team. And then you're talking about them being in a sectional with Simeon Thornton again. And that's going to be interesting with those two, because you really want to avoid being that. I mean, you want to be that one seed in that sectional. So you don't have to knock off the other one, you know, both of them twice to be that two, three seed. HF is also in that mix. So, you know, I, I think Mary Catholic is got a lot of different parts and I think they've got a very, some underrated personnel of players we don't talk about, like Austin Ritchie, the 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 six three, six four, big bodied wing. He, he's he's a good looking player. He's a junior that no one even knows really. But yeah, I, mean, I agree. Mary Catholic is is going to. I mean, and that happens. I mean, ebbs and flows of a season. But I think we're going to be talking a lot about Mary Catholic heading between now and before state tournament time. And then my final, my second take is this whole Mike Smith thing. I, I kept hearing different people, Mike Smith of Fenwick, who just put together, I don't think it's, not arguably, probably the best individual week of any individual player. He knocked off Simeon with 38 points, and he, in another high-profile game, knocked off Riverside Brookfield with 34 points. This There's a notion out there that he has no Division One interest and people are, and missed the boat on him, and how does he not have it? Mike Smith had a lot of Division One interests. He had a lot of Division One offers. Uh, if 
I'd have to go back and look, but it, I would say double-digit offers um, back in the summer and in the fall. He just chose that not to take any of those 10 and write out his senior year and see how it played out, and it's looking really good for him right now. But he's always had Division One interest. Now, is it the level in comparison to what he's been playing at right now? Probably it's not, but that's coming because there's a lot of calls coming in since this week. Uh, Vanderbilt has jumped in just a little bit here. Uh, he's got the Ivy League opportunity if he wants it because he's got a 30 ACT. But to say Mike Smith is this overlooked, and he is. I mean, I mean, he's had a great senior year, and there hasn't been a ton of buzz. But to say he's this overlooked player with no Division One interest is a little bit far fetched. He, he's had that, and he'll generate even more going forward. Yeah, I think a lot of people. I tweeted something out about how why is he going to Ivy League, and I think that made a lot of people think he didn't have that. I think, I mean, personally, I, I my wondering was why isn't he going or doesn't have more offers from kind of the lower end schools of the high major conferences? You know, yeah, and like the Vanderbilts of the world. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I and again, it gets back into Mike all of. And, and and I deal with this with 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 coaches and 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 even some families and things that talk about recruiting. It, 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 can a kid play at a certain level? A lot of times, yes. But what is the best spot, best level, best situation for that kid and that player? And and sometimes you're talking like a kid that can. Yeah, could he go and play and survive and and get recruited at that level? Sure. Uh, but would he knock it out of the park and be a home run recruit at this level? Yes, and, and, and maybe flourish even more and step in and play right away and have more opportunities early on, not be afraid of being recruited over down the road. That's what I, I, I'm talking about. I, I, have ha- I think he is a terrific mid-major point guard prospect. The high majors get, I mean, they, they, they get hung up on the size. Um, you know, he's, he is 5'9", 5'10". But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Mike Smith, I'm not going to say he rolled the dice because, you know, he was going to have Division One offers. But he, he, he's so good that the Ivy League schools, I mean, if I'm an Ivy League school and I have a shot at him with a 30 ACT, I mean, he's a difference maker, big time difference maker in the Ivy League. And he gets his you know, that education, obviously. Now, you want to play a higher level? It's a tough call for a lot of families. Do I go the mid-major route that's maybe not the strongest academics, it's a decent basketball school, and basketball experience would be better, or do I take that Ivy League route, you know? so What would you it, think about him at a Northwestern or Stanford? Uh, again, here, I go back to what I just kind of mentioned. Um you think you he, know, could, he could survive, but he wouldn't He, he could thrive. survive. And I, I mean, and the, the word serviceable is almost disrespectful a little bit, but I, I think he could be a service. I was talking to Brooke Malnati, and I was saying this the other day, and just um, can he be a serviceable guy at a high major? I mean, is he better than Jalen Tate? Somebody asked me that. And I said, yeah, <laughs> he's better than Jalen Tate. Uh, he was better than Jalen Tate even when Jalen Tate was in high school. But the point guard, Illinois, now from Simeon. But – I, again, do you want to go that road? To me, I look at it, and if he can get in the right system, right style, up and down, where you can, you know, I'm looking out west. 
I'm finding one of those really good academic schools in the West Coast Conference. Mm-hmm. They go up and down. Not a whole lot of defense is played. To me, that way, and, and actually San Diego is, is, is recruiting them. So, you know, that's the ideal fit that I see him as a really good mid-major school, hopefully to try to find a fit that has not Ivy League academics, but pretty good academics that are going to fit kind of the whole bill for Mike Smith. But he's put himself in a great spot, great position. The calls I've taken, the calls Coach Malnati and Mike Smith have taken here. He And, and kudos to Mike Smith. I mean, this kid has just done everything that he could do uh, to raise his image, his stock, and raise the level of Fenwick this year. The um, I'm going to take a lot of interest in <clears throat> what happens with him. You know, not that I don't with everybody, but I'm going to be watching Mike Smith a little closer than a lot of the kids who graduate and come out of here. I've never spoken with a kid after the game, and as long as I've been doing this, that was just as smart about the game he just played as Mike Smith was. I mean, sometimes I'm kind of shell-shocked by it. I mean, after the uh, win against... RB, I mean, he told me that he knew, he knew, it was in the story, he knew that refs had only called one charge the whole game when he got his fourth foul. So he mm-hmm. wasn't worried about them card. You know, he didn't have to lessen his offense any once he got the fourth foul because mm-hmm. he's like, they weren't calling charge. And, you know, a lot of play- players might know they weren't calling many, blah, 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 but they wouldn't know facts like that. And <laughs> they wouldn't have been, ke- you know, who would? I wouldn't. I couldn't have told you how many charges were kept in that game. You know, and mm-hmm. I wasn't playing it. And it's every time after a big win, he says something that's like, geez, how did you. I mean, it's obvious that the high school game has slowed down for him to. to so slow, and that's why he's leading the team to these huge victories um, without a ton of D1 talent around him. So, yeah, it's going to be super fun to watch what he does in college. Um, let's move on here to uh, the week ahead. We're getting long, so we're kind of whipped through this. Tuesday, when you will be listening to this, hopefully. What a, f- what a massive day. <laughs> I don't even know where to go. It's Monday at 4.46 as we say this, and I have not decided. we got Curie at Kenwood, Simeon at Bogan. Oh, boy. Well, Bogan said they can't win on a small court, so uh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't go to that one. <laughs> don't, don't go. Yeah, <laughs> Simeon's going to go into the small court and beat Bogan. Yeah, I went to Kiri Kenwood last time, so I feel like this time I should go to Simeon Bogan, but I kind of want to watch Kiri Kenwood again. So, well, I- the atmospheres are going to be outstanding. Kenwood atmosphere with Kiri coming in is going to be awesome. Uh, Bogan is just a different, unique type of deal. If you've ever been to Bogan. Uh, that, that's a tough call. Fun night. Also that night, Lake Zurich at Lake Forest going to be a good game. And low-key, where I kind of want to be, I was waiting for this game all year, Bolingbrook romeoville to watch the freshman guards go at it um, and sophomores. Uh, yeah. I thought that would be a fun game. Unfortunately, it's on the massive Gary Kenwood Simeon Bogan Day. It should be Wednesday because Wednesday's kind of lame. We've got Lincoln Park and Uplift, Marshall at Farragut, Prosser at Foreman. Um, pretty slow day. Thursday, another massive day. Sort of weird day because Simeon is spo- or Morgan Park is supposed to play Simeon and Vocational. Um, we don't know how that's going to turn out yet. I don't know if Vocational is going to show up and request the forfeit <laughs> or what's going to happen. Um, but so it should be the Battle of Vincennes. I would have loved the doubleheader. <laughs> yeah, I saw Morgan Park sophomores. I think they should give is it that, a world. Is that game supposed to be at Morgan Park? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it'd be awesome. CBS <laughs> shows up, cheering section, and then they just come on right out. The game's over. We're ready. Yeah, Let's go. It's a mess. Also that night, it was mo- It was originally scheduled for Friday, the big St. Joe's at Fenwick tilt. That was moved to Thursday. It's going to be on the U2. 
so you can tape that one if you go somewhere else, but that's going to decide Catholic League things and 3A things and all sorts of things like that, St. Joe's against since, Fenwick. Since nobody can get into the Simeon Morgan Park game, by no one I mean more than 240, but uh, is that game going to, just for listeners, is that going to be on any cube or anything like that? It's you know? on the U2, yeah. It's oh, it is. Okay. It's live on TV. Did you say that already and I missed it? I did, yes. <laughs> All right. Sorry, people. That, that's right. okay. I, and actually, I should, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Simeon Morgan Park is going to be on the Cube. So you can watch that and you don't got to get involved in anything that might be happening around there. Um, then we've got a bit of a lame Friday. Um, I think I'm leaning towards going to Geneva at Larkin because I need to see Geneva before they wind up winning state hardware again. And uh, Lincoln Way Central, Lincoln Way West is a fun game. Proviso East Downer South is a fun game. Uh, Joliet West at Joliet Central is the most fun game that I can't emotionally handle, so I won't be there. Hey, um, one of your preseason top 25 that hasn't panned out is, is starting to get a little hot. Did you, have you noticed? Marshall? Niles, Niles West. Oh, yeah. Marshall they're, almost beat Young the other day. They have a horrible record. But, yeah, you're right. Niles West is, yeah. They're playing Evanston, I know. Yeah, that's a, a good one. New Trier, Waukegan, probably not that great. Uh, De La Salle at DePaul Prep, which could be Some good East Suburban Catholic games. Yeah, you know, it's a better night than I thought, actually. Notre Dame, Julie Catholic, Maris, Marion Catholic, mm. St. Pat's at Bennett. Uh, Saturday, just loaded. I mean, huge shootout at Orr with literally huge. It starts at like 8 a.m. and the last game starts at like 10 p.m. All, <laughs> all day of basketball. The Night of Hoops, which has some fun game. The nightcaps are, are pretty fun, I think. RB against St. Joe's and Lake Zurich against Batavia should be a, a close one. Um HF at Hillcrest. Sh- on the shore yeah. up in uh, uh, Loyola. Loyola. Farragut plays Hyde Park. Conant at Deerfield, which winner of that one probably gets in the Super 25 maybe um, next week. Um, kind of a playoff game for the Super 25. Zion Benton at Stevenson. And then the HF Hillcrest game we talked about is at 1. So you can check that one out if you can get in and then go to a, a nightcap. So a lot, of, just a loaded Saturday of basketball. So get out there and check out some games and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.